means we will stand before God to give an account for how we live our life, even as believers. One pastor says, we must all give an account for how we live in light of the fact that Christ is coming back. For we all have to answer to God for every choice we make. That ought to cause us to take our choices in life seriously. To make us think twice about short-term pleasures we enjoy in view of the long-term consequences which await us. Our choices ought to be influenced by the fact that we all long to hear this one phrase from God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you want to hear? If you are a child of God, that's what you want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And by abiding in Christ, we have confidence, we can have boldness to draw near to Christ at the second coming, and we will hear that phrase. Well done, my good and faithful servant servant abiding in Christ who are those who will hear that word who are those who will continue to abide in Christ who are they verse 29 if you know that he is righteous you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness have been born of him those who have been born of God who know God in relationship with God will hear that phrase from God See what I'm saying? I'm not, you, know, you can't earn your salvation. You can't work for it. But those who are truly believers will hear that word because they will continue to abide in God. You will. To know that God is righteous means you have a saving faith in him. You are in covenant relationship with him. You know his character. You know who he is. He's righteous. He's a holy God. And those of us who have a saving faith in God have been born of God. That's the point John is making here. The ones born of God will continue to abide in God. And in this context, it means you will reflect God's righteous character in your life. That's what he means. Practicing righteousness, you are practicing the righteousness that Christ has given you. It's not your own. You're reflecting God's righteousness in your life, the way you live your life. You see... The practice of this righteousness is a natural consequence of you being born of God. It flows out of that. If I've been born of God, then it's going to be evident in my life. It will. You see, every believer should have a desire to be like God. To be like him in their character. In the things that they value. In the things that they love. As a parent of a three-year-old... You know, there's one channel you watch a lot of, and it's the Disney Channel. Can't ever get enough of it. And it's amazing how at 33 you can get sucked into these kid shows. And so, and, you know, this one show um, came on. It's, it's a movie. It was called Camp Rock. And it's basically about a teenage girl named Mitchie. She's a young singer, and she wants to be a professional singer. So she wants to go to this music camp to learn how to be able to hone her skills. But the camp is so expensive, she can't afford to go to the camp. But her mother, her loving mother, works out an agreement with the camp owner. She says, I'll provide the food. I'll be the camp cook. And then her daughter gets to go to the camp for free because of that. So her mother made, made this great sacrifice. So I'm going to come cook your food for these campers. And my daughter gets to go to camp for free now. But Mitchie, 
Once she gets into the camp, start making, making friends, she starts to get, feel shame. I'm only here because my mom's a camp cook. So I can't let anyone find that out. So she creates a false identity so she can fit in in the camp. So she lies about who she is. She lies about who her parents are and what they do for a living because she felt shame that her mother was a camp cook. She did all this so that she could fit in. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We hide our true identity, who we are, so that we can fit in with the world around us. So people won't think we're Jesus freaks or whatever. So we hide our identity. And you see, as children of God, your identity has to be in God. And John is saying, no. No. You don't have to hide who you are. Pretend to be something that you're not. You, our identity is in the fact that we are children of God. John says in verse three, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Do you see the passion that John has here in these two verses? He says, look, see, behold what kind of love the Father has given you. This love is amazing. You should be excited about it. It should amaze you. You should be passionate about it. It's awesome love. It's a wonderful love. It's a powerful love that he has freely given you, that he has lavished upon you, and you didn't even have to earn it. The creator of the universe. Do you understand? God, who made everything in this world, has placed his love upon you. And how, how much, you don't really value it as much as we should. The fact that God loves us that much. You have been born of God. You're children of God. And you should try to find your identity in that. Are you amazed about this love in your life? Is it, does it excite you to be, I'm a child of God and that's cool. Or is it, huh, what else you got? Yeah, I'm a child of God, but you know, give me something else. You know, what else you got? That ain't doing it for me. You see, if this doesn't move us, maybe we have this attitude that we deserve to be children of God. Do you think we deserve it? It's our birthright? Could it be if we don't appreciate it, could it be we're trying to find our identity in other things, other people, things we do, career, job, ministry, whatever? What is your view of God's love? You see, what we fail to remember is that we used to be orphans. You realize that? Before you were a Christian, you used to be an orphan. No father. God has adopted you into his family. More than that, he adopted his enemies into his family. That's what you were. That's what I was. An enemy of God. A God-hater. But he chose to place his love upon me and to bring me into his family because of mercy. Not because I had it all together. Not because I had the right name. Because of his mercy. You see, each of us used to be children of wrath. 
objects of God's wrath. But in Christ Jesus, you are not objects of his everlasting love. See, it was mercy that you don't get what you truly deserve. It is mercy that you don't get your true birthright. And it is mercy that God God does not give us what we are truly entitled to get. Don't forget it. Everything is mercy. Every morning his mercies are new, and you better thank God they are new. Because every morning, every morning we mess up. And every morning his mercies is anew because we mess up. We ain't ever gonna measure up. As our merciful Father, God is not inferior to this world. He does not conform to this world. He does not lower his standards to this world. Nor does he get his identity from this world. The world is in his hands. He is God for crying out loud. And as his sons and daughters, we should not be inferior either. When we do what this girl did in this movie, we lower our standards when we pretend to be something that we're not. You see, we get no gain from pretending we're not children of God. You realize that? You're going backwards. You ain't moving forward. You ain't moving on up like the Jeffersons. You're moving backwards. When you do that, you got to see that. When you try to find happiness outside of God, you are settling but we don't think we are. But you are. You are. The reason the world does not know us is because it does not know him. Let that sink in. The reason the world is never going to accept you, the reason the world sometimes is going to talk bad about you, the reason in the world sometimes the world is going to look down upon you isn't because of you, it's because they don't know him. Because they don't know Jesus. The world would never understand and recognize us who we are as children of God. Because they don't know our God as Father. And remember, the world that John is talking about here is humanity that's in opposition to God. It's those who don't know God. Those who hate on God. Those who rebel against God. That's who he's talking about here. That part of the world would never understand who we are. Sometimes they will think we're crazy. I believe those people get up and go to church on Sunday. For what? They're just religious zealots is what they are. Jesus freaks. That's fine. You shouldn't get upset about it. You shouldn't get down about it. You shouldn't even get discouraged by it. When non-believers prosper more than you, don't get upset. When they suffer lesser, lesser than you, don't get upset. Never, never, never get upset about those things. Never let the world define who you are as a believer. You are, as John says here, beloved, we are God's children now. Not in the future. Not when Jesus comes back. In the here and now, you are God's children now. At this moment, in whatever circumstances you're in, in whatever situation you're going through, you're God's child. In the darkest hours of your life, you're God's child. When life gets hard, you're still God's child. When you don't get that promotion, when, when you still have, get, need money to pay bills, and, and life, your life is falling apart, you are still God's child, and he never forsakes his own. you got to believe that truth. That doesn't mean my life is going to be okay, that I'm not going to ever suffer, but it means you have someone that's going to bring you through it. 
You have someone that's going to bring you through it. Children of God, that is not an empty phrase. That is not an empty mission statement. That's who you are. That's who we are. It's a reality. A reality. Just like my friend Corb said last week, he says, once you are not a people, remember Corb's sermon last week? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. By this great and awesome mercy, orphans who were once God's enemies have now become his beloved children. His people, his chosen possession. And that is what we are now. And that is where we need to rest. That is where we need to get our, our identity. And wrapping your arms around that should refuel you. It should gas you back up to go back out there and fight. I'm a child of God. Therefore, that means something in this life. It means something in this life. In his essay, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says, If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has no part of Christianity. Indeed, if we consider the un, unblushing promises of reward and the, sag, and the staggering nature of the re rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to make mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by offer at the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see what Spurgeon, what Lewis is saying there? There's nothing wrong with desiring our own good when it's directed at the right thing. The problem is that our desire is too weak. Because if we really desired our own good, if we really desired our own best, then that would push us to the gospel. That would push us to the gospel. As children of God, when you try to find your identity in things lesser than God, again, you settle for less. I just settle, God. I don't really don't want the best. I'll settle. It shows that our desire for our own good is too weak. We want mud pies instead of infinite joy. Please keep this in mind that in our relationship with the Father, we married up. He did not. You know that, right? He, we married up in this relationship. He did not. And every time you step out on God with your idols, with sin, you chose to have a fling with something less. But because his mercies are new every morning, he always welcomes us back. You see, in this relationship... God's righteous character has to be rubbing off on us. It has to rub off on us. Because if you're drawing your identity from him, then his, his, who he is is going to rub off on you. And that's going to have an impact on your life, on the things that you do, on the things that you value. And so we have the children of God abiding God, the children of God find their identity in God, and the children of God get their hope from God as well. 
Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. All believers from all time have a future hope in Christ. And the object of that hope is when he returns. See, the doubt, when he comes back the second time, it's going to be judgment for some. But for the people of God, it's going to be everlasting joy. Right? Because we know for us when he comes back, life just begins in a real sense. We're going to see him as he is. Paul says in Titus 2.3, We await for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We wait for it with great patience, with expectation. This is our hope. We should be like giddy about it. Like, man, I cannot wait. When Jesus comes back, he's going to make everything right. It's a wonderful thing. It's an unseen hope. You really you know that? It's an unseen hope. But yet it's hope nonetheless. And it has not appeared yet because he has not come back. And on this side of heaven, we live by faith. That when he comes back, our faith will be made sight. We will see him as he truly is. Wow. We will see him as he truly is. Face to face, we will see Jesus. I don't know about you, but man, that sent chills down my spine. I will see him as he truly is. And I will be like him. You see, another part of our hope is that when he comes back, we will not only see him, but we will be like him in our glorified bodies. No more sin. No more weakness. No more struggles. No more suffering. No more pain. No more sickness. We will be like him. Perfect and holy. And this is what we wait for, the children of God. This is what we wait for. The time when we will truly be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That will, complete, that will take place completely when Jesus comes back. Well, what does that mean for now? I mean, that's, that's to come, Alex, but what, what about now, man? Come back to reality. What about now? That future hope has a present reality. What do I mean by that? I mean that the future hope of being transformed into Christ's likeness is a process that has already begun in your life. Already. At this moment. Even as I speak. That is why John says that everyone who has this hope implanted in him purifies himself as he is pure. In the here and now, you are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Loving what Jesus loves. Valuing the things that Jesus values. Loving the people that Jesus loves. One Christian says that Christians who fix their hope upon Christ's return will purify themselves, not ceremonially, but morally. You will have, you will be, uh, see your role in the process. You will begin to strive and fight to abide in Christ. You will begin to fight and strive to find your identity in Christ. You see, our future hope is linked together with Christ's second coming. But the present reality of that hope is linked together with the first coming. And this is what John does here in this passage. He goes back and forth 
He starts with the second coming of Christ. When he comes, this is what we will be when he comes. But then he goes and reminds us of the first coming. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sin and practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, first coming of Christ, to take away sin. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Again, the reason the Son of God appeared, first coming, was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason you have this present reality is because of what Jesus accomplished at his first coming. He appeared to take away our sin, and in him there was no sin. He was crucified for our sins. He was a substitute for us. He alone satisfied God's righteous wrath towards us. You realize that? You realize that? Jesus satisfied God's righteous wrath towards us, and that's why we are now God's beloved children. You understand what that means for you? He satisfied God's righteous law through his obedience. In him there was no sin. He took away our sin by placing upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin. He took away our sin and he destroyed sin's power over us. The reason that, that, that we are children of God is because of what Jesus did with his first coming. What he destroyed, what he defeated. He defeated sin. He defeated the enemy. And secondly, he said he appeared to defeat the, the works of the, Satan. Satan and our sin works together. We saw it in the garden, and it still works together in our life. And Christ, in his, with his first coming, he began the process of redeeming and restoring what Satan has destroyed through the fall. The process started when Christ came back. When Christ came the first time. He's going to make all things new through his death and resurrection. And that has started now. It's a process. And that when Jesus took away all your sin, all your frailty, he gave you his righteousness. Right? Right? It's called the great exchange. He gets all my sin. I get all his righteousness. And when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus' blood over me. Jesus accomplished all of that when he came the first time. We have now been declared righteous in God's sight. You see, only in the infinite merciful mind of God and the plan of God can, can someone who is totally sinful be declared righteous by an act of another person. And that person is Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's what he did. And now I ask you, what does that mean for your life now? What does it mean that you have been declared righteous in God's sight? First, it means you don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn that righteousness. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You're righteous before God. His blood covers you. You've got to learn to embrace it, to rest in it, to live in it. And you have to practice it. See, many of us have heard the illustration that 
Jesus has canceled out our sin debt before God. Have you heard that illustration? That he had deposited his righteousness into our account. Have you ever heard that before? Jesus canceled out our sin debt through the death on the cross. And he gave us his righteousness. He put all, he gave his righteousness into our account. So that when God sees us, we're now righteous. Because our account is filled with his blood. Alright, have you heard that before? But that illustration overlooked something. And it came to me this week. Now, if I put a million dollars into a bank account, what's going to happen to that million dollars? Over time. What's going to happen to it? What's it going to do what? Yeah, all right. If I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ, over time it should be doing what? In my life. His blood doesn't cover you and just sits there. His righteousness doesn't cover us and we just sit here. Well, I'm in the covenant righteousness of Christ. I'm good. If his righteousness is over you, it's going to begin to draw interest in your life. What did I mean by that? It's going to begin to bleed over every single crack of your life until you begin to breathe like Jesus, think like Jesus, sleep like Jesus, walk like Jesus, believe like Jesus, fight like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Because his blood and righteousness has power in our life. And if you're if it's not if that is not happening to you, then you need to do some business with God. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, his blood doesn't discover me and I just sit here. It's gonna move me. It's gonna move me to do something with it. Are you moving? Is it moving you? That's what it means. When his blood is over me, it's going to have some kind of effect on my life. It's going to change everything about me. It has to. That's what happened with the first coming. That's what he accomplished for us. And so, when you practice righteousness, it's not even your own righteousness that you're practicing. It's the righteousness that Christ has given you. You're just living it out. You're just living it out. You're just living it out. Living it out. He says, you will not continue to live in sin. Because we know that sin is lawlessness. And that Jesus has redeemed us from lawlessness. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning, that means continuing to live in sin, has either seen him or known him. Verse 9 gives us the reason. He says, no one born in God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abide in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because God, he has been born of God. Those born of God will practice righteousness, and they will renounce sin. Now, we're not perfect. We still struggle with sin, right? This is him talking about you will repent of your sin. He's not talking about perfection. You will be convicted of it, and you will repent of it. All this happens because of God's spirit in us. It's because you are God's children. That you live like children. It's because you have already been made righteous that you live righteous. It's because you have already been set free of sin that you confess your sins now. That's what it means to live as the children of God. Our sin, the taste of your sin, should be coming less sweet and more bitter every day. It should be bitter. It should be sour milk to you. And you should vomit every time you taste it. Is that happening to you? I'm talking about every sin, even your pride, your self-righteousness, your anger, whatever it is. It should be bitter 
to you, not sweet. That should be happening for the child of God. In college, I learned something called DTR. DTR is a conversation that, that would take place between a guy and a girl after they've been spending some time together, hanging out, going on dates. And DT, DTR means, you know, define the relationship. Let's define the relationship now. Sometimes that happens after one date, which you probably shouldn't do, but it will happen. You will have to define the relationship. And now I had a couple of those conversations in college, and let's say none of them panned it out very well. But even though we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we strive to practice righteousness and find our identity in him, we still are in a love affair with certain sin in our life. We still are in a love affair with it. And it's time that we have a DTR with our sin. Have a DTR with that sin that you love, that this is just the way I am. You need to set that sin down. Whatever it is, your pride, your self-righteousness, lust, whatever, and just set it down and say, it ain't me, it's you. I got to break up with you. I got to let you go. Why? Because someone else has found me that can do for me what you can't. He loves me. He adores me. And more importantly, he died for me. And so how do you do that? Through repentance. You break up with your sin every day through repentance. You have that conversation every day. Every day you got to break up with your sin. Every day you got to say, I got to let you go. Now, we know sin is like a crazy ex. It always, it always comes back. <laughs> but you got to always break up with it. I love illustrations because you, you get the point. You got to break up with it every day. And... As children of God, we, we, we live between the comings of Christ, the first coming and second coming. That's our reality. And in some sense, we're going we're gonna to struggle with identity issues. But we've got to remember you know, what, what John says. He, John says in 1 John 5.18, We know that everyone born of God does not keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Listen to this. Jesus protects him from the evil one. The evil one cannot touch him. You know that? Those born of God, the evil one cannot touch him. Christ protects us. And what I mean by that, what I mean is that he can't steal your identity. You would never be a victim of identity theft from Satan. Who you are in Christ is written in stone. What's coming to you is written in stone. Satan can't take that away. Your sin can't take that away. Jesus paid for it all. He died for it all. And so your identity is secure. You would never be a victim. And that should refuel you to, to go out and say, game on. Game on, man. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you that my identity is secure in Christ. My place in heaven, my name in the book of life is there. And Satan can't take it out. No matter what he throws at me, no matter what he puts in my life, Jesus has secured my spot. Lord, in your magnificent kingdom. And that's for every child of God. That even in our darkest hour, even when life gets hard, even when we, we, we have these battles, where well, we got to always come back to who we are. We are God's children now. And that means something for us in this life. 
So, Father, as we go out and as the enemy comes and as we continue to battle sin, let us learn to embrace your truth. Embrace this truth. And also, Lord, not just to embrace it, but to let that empower us to be able to fight the enemy and to fight our own sin. Let us be a people who repent more than we do, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.